A.W. Tozer famously said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm sure that all of us have heard that quote at some point in our church. But in light of what we've just read, I want to take that quote just a bit further. What we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. As we see in our passage, our eternal life is dependent on it. Our fellowship with God and His people is dependent on it. And even our joy, both now and forever, is dependent on what we believe about Jesus. This was the message that the Apostle John had for this church in Asia, Asia, Asia Minor. They were, they were those who had been in the church and they had left the church. And John describes them in chapter 2 as being anti-Christ, meaning that they were against the Christ. They were against the Messiah. This doesn't mean, though, that they didn't believe in a Jesus. No, they believed in a Jesus, but it wasn't the true Jesus. They believed in a different Jesus. They likely believed in a Jesus that was God or maybe a lesser God. But they didn't like this idea of Jesus having a true humanity. That they thought of Him as merely a spirit that looked like a man. You see, in this pagan worldview that they had imported into Christianity, the physical world was icky. It was gross. They thought, the physical world's bad. Our bodies are just gross shells that we need to escape. So why in the world would Jesus even want to take on a physical body? So even though they had a Jesus, it was not the true Jesus It was a Jesus of their own invention. And friends, a Jesus that we construct is no Jesus at all. This is why John ends his letter saying this, little children, keep yourself from idols. He's saying, keep yourself from a Jesus that you've shaped and fashioned yourself saying keep yourself from a Jesus that's merely a good teacher but isn't God. Keep yourself from a Jesus that isn't truly God and truly man. Instead, he's saying believe in the true Jesus. That's the title of my sermon this afternoon. Believe in the true Jesus. And that also flows into our main idea Believe in the true Jesus and find life, fellowship, and joy. So again, believe in the true Jesus and find life, fellowship, and joy. And that's what we're going to see in our three points. In verses 1 and 2, we're going to see believe in Jesus and find life. So again, believe in Jesus and find life. And then in verse 3, believe in Jesus and find fellowship. And then lastly, in verse 4, We're going to see believe in Jesus and find joy. So again, in verses 1 and 2, we're going to see believe in Jesus and find life. 
I don't know if when we were reading this passage and you thought, man, this is a little intimidating to read. It's written in a way that's foreign to how maybe you and I would write or uh, communicate. But I want to make two observations here in verses 1 and 2 that will help us understand what John is trying to communicate to us. And so first, we see that Jesus is God. Notice that verse 1 says, that which was from the beginning. And then at the end of verse 1, he refers to that, which is at the beginning of verse 1, as the word of life. Or you might, or in the Greek, it's the logos of life. And finally, at the end of verse 2, he says that this word of life was with the Father. John's using all of this language in this letter to remind us of the beginning of his gospel. That's what we read as our call to worship this afternoon. That's what George prayed from. And so John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's reminding us that Jesus has been, is, and will always be God. He existed with the Father for eternity before there was even time. He wasn't made by God. Instead, all things were made through him and for him. He's the source of life. He's the very word of life. But John doesn't stop there. So secondly, he tells us that Jesus is man. John tells us that this eternal word, the eternal son, was made manifest. I don't know about you, I don't use the word manifest that often, uh, but simply it means to reveal or to make known or to make visible. Several years ago in 2017, I was working in an office. Uh, I was working for our brother Jono that uh, led us in singing earlier. Uh, And this was around the time that we had the total solar eclipse. Does anybody remember that back in 2017? And so everybody was buying these eclipse glasses. And so you could put the glasses on, and you could look up at the eclipse, and it wouldn't damage your eyes. Because see, this this total solar eclipse is when the moon comes in front of the sun, and all you can see is this rim of sunlight. And so you think, oh man, I could probably look at that, and I'll be okay. Uh, But apparently it was really damaging to your eyes if you look straight at it, that it could blind you. And so... These glasses made the eclipse clear. They made it so that you could observe it with your human eye. And in a sense, Jesus is our eclipse glasses, that he reveals the Father to us, that he makes the invisible God visible. He condescends to us so that we can know God. And he can do this, why? Because he himself is God. He's one with the Father. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the infinite God in finite human flesh. This is why we sung earlier, Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh, to ransom us. The eternal word of life 
took on flesh. This is why John uses all of this sensory language in this passage. He says that he and the other disciples, that they heard Jesus with their ears, that they saw Jesus with their eyes, that they looked upon him, and that they even touched him with their own hands. They touched God in flesh. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, it was their mission to testify what they had seen. They were given the task of proclaiming, or what we would say is preaching. And as we can see in verse 2, they proclaimed the eternal life. John describes, or not John, Jesus describes this eternal life in John 17.3. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Listen, eternal life isn't just getting to live forever. It's not just getting to see loved ones that are with Christ. Eternal life is primarily aimed at knowing God forever. We will never get bored knowing God. And this eternal life can only be found in Jesus. That's why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 2017, when those eclipse glasses came out, Amazon had to issue a warning and refund because there were counterfeit eclipse glasses. I, I hope that they got that out before the actual eclipse. Um, but these glasses, even though they seemed like they were real eclipse glasses, they wouldn't protect your eyes from looking at the eclipse. Similarly, you can't know the Father through a counterfeit Jesus. A counterfeit Jesus who isn't God can't reconcile you to God. A counterfeit Jesus who isn't truly man can't redeem all of your humanity. Not just your body, but your heart, mind, and soul. Only the true Jesus can reconcile you with God. Only the true Jesus can fully redeem you through his life, death, and resurrection. And this is the true Jesus that was revealed to the apostles. Friend, listen to me. If you don't believe in the Jesus that they heard and saw and touched, then you do not believe in the true Jesus. And if you don't have this Jesus, then you don't have eternal life. Instead, you have eternal death and eternal judgment waiting for you. But friend, if this is you, you can trust in this Jesus today. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. If you believe in Him, you will have eternal life. 
you will have fellowship with God forever. So friend, trust in this Jesus. This brings us to our second point. Believe in Jesus and find fellowship. Look with me at verse 3. John says, That which we have seen and heard, again meaning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we proclaim also to you. And here's the reason that he gives. He says, So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice that that word fellowship is repeated twice here. To fellowship is to participate in something. It's to commune with someone or around something. And so every fellowship is is built on something. If you've seen Lord of the Rings or if you've read it, then you know that this is true. So we think about the fellowship of the ring that we have. We have a wizard. We have an elf. We have men. We have a dwarf. We have hobbits. All different creatures that wouldn't normally be hanging out. But they had a common belief for their fellowship. They knew that the ring needed to be destroyed. They needed to do that so that Sauron would be defeated and so that his reign and tyranny would be stopped. And so what unites our fellowship as a church? Is it our shared interest in sports or video games or movies or music or TV shows? No, our church's fellowship is built around what we believe and confess. This is the first type of fellowship that John addresses. It's a fellowship with Christ's church. So a local church is a fellowship of baptized believers. They gather to exalt Christ, as we've done today, to edify one another and to evangelize the lost. And this is the kind of fellowship that we see even in Acts 2, verse 42. You don't have to flip there. But after Peter shares the gospel, after he preaches, that he calls those that are listening to him to repent and be baptized. And after they're baptized, this is what it says that they do. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we're doing the same thing now, that as we gather to read, pray, sing, preach, and see the same gospel that the apostles proclaimed. And yet, our fellowship isn't just strictly tied to this local church. That our fellowship is with Christ's church in all times and places. I wonder if you've thought about that lately. That, brothers and sisters, we have fellowship with John the Apostles, with this church that John's writing to, with Old Testament saints, with saints throughout the ages, with other churches in Denton, in Texas, in the U.S., and all over the world. That millions of gospel believers gather each Lord's Day to proclaim the same gospel that John did. And each time that we and every true church gathers, we get a taste of a forever Lord's Day. This is the day that John saw in Revelation 7, 9-10. through 10. 
And he saw a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If you believe in the true Jesus, then that is and that will be your reality. You have fellowship with the church. But our text doesn't stop there. When we believe in the true Jesus, we have fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So Christian, I want to ask you if you've considered that lately as well. You have fellowship with God. Think about that. When you have Christ, you can pray to the Father and He actually hears you. When you sing to Him, He delights in it. That when you have Christ, you can read your Bible and know that you're hearing the very word of your Father in heaven. And again, when you have Christ, you have fellowship with God. And you will forever. So in light of this, I want us to consider two applications. First, our fellowship with Christ should lead us to share the gospel. We notice that language that the apostles proclaim, proclaimed what they saw. And now we proclaim that same gospel as well. And so I wonder, where has God placed you? He's placed you in a specific family. He's placed you in a specific neighborhood. He's placed you in a specific job, a specific classroom. Friends, there's people there that don't have fellowship with God. Don't you want that for them? Don't you want them to know God? Don't you want them to know the one that they were created to enjoy forever? Brothers and sisters, give them the gospel. Share with them good news. Let them know that they can have fellowship with God by believing in this Jesus this Jesus that lived the life that you and I couldn't live. This Jesus that died on the cross bearing the wrath that you and I deserve. This is the Jesus that was raised from the dead that is ascended on high, that is interceding for us now and will one day return to judge the living and the dead. And so brothers and sisters, I would encourage you this week, pray and think through who are those in my life that need to be reconciled with God, that don't have fellowship with Him. And I would encourage you, pray and ask the Lord to give you the courage that you would take heart in His promises and that you would share the Gospel with them. Again, if you have never shared the Gospel with a friend or family member, uh, I would love to help you with that. That Mary and Becca who are in our church, they both work at the BSM where they train students on how to share the gospel. That's their job. So go find them and ask them to help teach you. 
Our brother Joe shares the gospel day in and day out. So I would encourage you, go and ask them for help in sharing the gospel with your friends and family. And so second, our fellowship with Christ should lead us to take church membership seriously. Maybe you're new to our church and you've heard us talk about things like membership classes and doing membership interviews. Maybe you thought, man, this just, this just sounds weird. You're telling me that I need to take a class before I join the church. If this is you, I just want you to know our motivation here is love and a concern that we want to make it really clear to you on the front end of membership what we believe. Amongst other things, we want you to know what we believe about Christ and the gospel and that we're aiming to confess what saints have confessed throughout the ages when it comes to Christ and the gospel. That this is what our fellowship is ultimately built on. This is what it revolves around. And so if we can't confess the same Christ, and if we can't confess the same gospel, then what, what fellowship do we really have? A fellowship that's superficial at best. Maybe you're a child of a member, and every week we invite baptized believers to come to the Lord's table. And because that's not where you are yet, that you feel awkward, you feel uncomfortable, you feel excluded. And then even now you're going, Matt, why are you even bringing this up? This just makes me feel more awkward. Listen, I, I grew up in a church similar to ours with that practice. And I remember what that was like. But I think this is a good practice. And so I want you to consider what coming to this table means. That this is the Lord's table. This is King Jesus's table. And it's a meal for those who recognize their sin and turn to Savior. This meal is for those who identify themselves with Christ and His church by being baptized. And so I would ask you to consider what's keeping you from believing in this Jesus? What's keeping you from humbly coming to Him empty-handed and saying, I need grace and mercy. I'm crippled by sin. Singer Caroline Cobb writes this, there is a mountain only the lame can climb. There is a table only the hungry find. Only the beggar will have the currency when need is all you need. Do you see your need? Then bring your need to a Savior. That need is the only currency he takes. And so would you trust in him? And I would encourage you, ask your parents about what it looks like to trust in Christ. That I would, parents, I would love to come alongside you and aid you in that as you think about 
what that process would be. That if your child is trusted in Christ, what would it look like for them to pursue membership, to be baptized? Uh, that Jeff and I and our other elders, we've, we've done that before. And that we're eager to do it again and again uh, to see many of those that have been raised up in our church trust in Christ, be baptized, and become members of this church. And so parents, feel free to come talk to me. Kids, feel free to come talk to me, and I'd love to help you figure that out with your parents. Well, we've seen that when we believe in the true Jesus, that we find eternal life and fellowship. And so lastly, we're going to see that when we believe in Jesus, we... Throughout John's letter, he tells this church why he's writing to them. On a side note, and what a nice thing for the biblical author to do, that he actually tells us why he's writing. That you're not sitting there having to guess or put together clues. That four times he tells us why he's writing. So in chapter 2, 1, he tells them that he's writing to them so that they may not sin. Chapter 2, verse 26, he tells them that he's writing to them so that they won't be deceived by false doctrine. And then lastly, at the end of the book, in chapter 5, verse 13, he tells them that he's writing to them so that they'll have assurance of their salvation. Beginning of John, in that last verse of the first section, in John 1, uh, or in 1 John 1, 4, he tells us the reason for his letter. John says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want you to notice two things about this joy that John's concerned with. First, it's a shared joy. When John says our joy, I don't think that he just means himself and the apostles. That based off the verses before, he likely has in mind all of those who have fellowship with Christ. And so when we believe in the true Jesus, we share in true joy. It's a joy that's not dependent on our circumstances. It's a joy that's present when life is really good. When you get that promotion, when you're able to finally buy that new house, when you finally find that sir, when you find out that you're going to have another child. But that joy is also present when things are bad, filled with tears and mourning and suffering, when you're not able to buy that house, when you lose your job, when that season of singleness doesn't end, when you find out that you're not able to have children, or even as all of us feel right now, when we lose a loved one. Brothers and sisters, this joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Hallelujah. Amen. It's a joy that's dependent on us. And we share in His joy. And as we see in our passage, we share in a complete joy. The word here for complete, we translate in other places as to My daughter Emerson, she's obsessed right now with filling up cups. Uh, I'm sure that your kids, when they were her age, they, maybe they did the same thing. Uh, but we, 
We've got this little kitchen tower thing that she can stand in. And we fill the sink up and she gets up in the kitchen tower and she's got these different cups. Uh, and she just picks up water and just starts filling these cups. And she does this for hours. Uh, literally, the, she at least did it for an hour straight. And then when she got in the bath, she did the same thing. So she's obsessed with just pouring water into cups. When we believe in the true Jesus, we are filled up by him with true joy. But G Christ's joy isn't something that we can just empty out. It is endless. It's bottomless. He's a bottomless fount of joy that we can drink from forever. This is why we're going to sing these words at the end of our service. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ he lives, Christ he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Friend, have you tasted that joy? Have you experienced the joy of knowing that you are forgiven of your sins? That you are clean and righteous in the sight of God? Have you tasted the joy of knowing that God is your Father and that Jesus is your King and that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit? That's why John's writing this letter. He wants us to have that complete joy. Beloved, our brother Butch knew and knows that joy. If you're new here, um, Butch was a member of our church. He was Pastor Jeff's stepfather. But most importantly, he was and is and will always be Christ's. Two weeks ago, he came to our men's retreat. And the other brothers, I'm sure, can attest to this that saw him. But he was frail and thin. He was walking with a cane. And you could just see how his cancer had just been eating away at his physical body. And yet what was more present, what, what, was, what wasn't being eaten away at was his joy. That it was even more tangible. That he was smiling, hugging, and greeting everyone that came through the door. That I remember walking in and being like, I don't even know if I can hug you. I don't want to get you sick or give you something. That even one brother told me uh, that Butch had said to him that he'd never felt closer to the Lord than he had during this time of suffering. As we mentioned earlier, Butch went to be with the Lord on Thursday morning. And the joy that we could see in him that he knew by faith is now his sight. And so I wonder this afternoon, where are you expecting to find that kind of joy? Eternal joy. Students, is it in getting really good grades or having your parents' approval? For all of us, is it in trying to have really good friendships or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or a child? 
Listen, those things are really good things. But the joy that those things bring is there one second, and it's gone the next. And so friend, are you tired of trying to find joy in things that don't last? St. Augustine was as well. And he aimed to find joy in God and he said this, I began to search for a means of gaining the strength I needed to enjoy God. But I could not find this means until I embraced the mediator between God and men, Jesus Christ. We can only find true infinite joy in Christ. And while our experience of that joy on this side of eternity ebbs and flows, it won't forever. Everyone who trusts in Jesus will have total joy forever. And so again, what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. Our eternal life is dependent on it. Our fellowship with God and His people is dependent on it. And our joy, now and forevermore, is dependent on it. So believe in Jesus. Let's pray.